standing here watching that video thinking, why did I pick such a funny video? I can't compete with that. (laughs) So uh, for anybody who doesn't know me, my name is Jen Taylor, and I was here at UCC for the first year. And uh, if you didn't know I had left, then you don't come to church often enough. Because I haven't been here for the last few months, but I am really excited to be here with you this morning. Raja is speaking at uh, Matt Naismith's church in Guelph today. So thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be here with you. Now, unless you live under a rock, then you have heard about the Starbucks controversy that has happened this week. I was in Starbucks this morning, picked up my own red cup. And uh, since 1997, Starbucks has been putting... Christmas things on their cup. And this year they decided, as you said in the video, to just have a plain red cup. And somewhere along the line, one or a hundred really annoyed Christians decided to speak out on this. And as we've heard in past years, have called it the war on Christmas. So in 2006, somebody coined the phrase war on Christmas as an attempt to take Jesus out of Christmas. And so as soon as the first Christian complained, they came along and said, the red cup is putting a war on Christmas. And as of yesterday morning, there were 9.2 million news stories on this stupid red cup. And if anyone out there is feeling like me, It's a gigantic waste of all of our time to even be having a discussion about it. And CNBC did a survey that 60,000 people took the time to do where the majority of us are saying, you know what, I don't even care about the stupid red cup. But thanks to Josh Fierstein and his friends, of which he now has 2 million followers on Facebook, The rest of the world is looking at Christians and thinking that this is what we're all about. And so for the majority of us, we're saying, this is such a waste of time. 9.2 million uh, pages dedicated to this. And in reality, Christmas is really about Christ. And we have this amazing opportunity as Christians to share and to be united and to make a difference in our world. And instead... People are looking at us and saying, look at those crazy Christians. So today I want us to take a look at a scripture from the book of Acts. And those of you who know me know I'm totally technologically illiterate. So my friend Josh up there is going to help me out today. Here we go. This is uh, from Acts 4, 32 to 35. It says, all of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So if you're unfamiliar with the the Bible and how it's all put together, I just want to give you a really quick background. So the book of Acts comes right after the Gospels. So you've got the Old Testament, and then there's this break of time, and then there's the story of Jesus, which is all happening in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John simultaneously. And then at the end of Jesus' life, 
where he ascends up into heaven, uh, the book of Acts begins with the disciples trying to figure out how to continue on with church and make this happen. And that is when the Holy Spirit is sent down on the day of Pentecost. And uh, the Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit and it's a whole new age of what church life will be like. And we often refer to an Acts 2 church. If you've heard that term before, Acts 2 church, that's because in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on all the believers, then they have this idyllic setting of a wonderful church experience. So this Acts 4 is kind of a continuation of what's happened in Acts 2. So the Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit and the word of Jesus is being spread all over the land. And uh, Peter and John are two of the disciples who are very involved in spreading the news of Jesus. And, of course, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter back then, but there was a lot of word of mouth uh, that was happening. And the disciples were also able to heal people. So there had been healing going on, and it was just an uproar of people who were really excited about Uh, what was happening, and about this Jesus who had been raised from the dead. And so the government, the Sanhedrin, was very angry and upset because they couldn't control what was happening. And so they had brought Peter and John into their Supreme Court setting, and they said, we really need you to stop teaching people about Jesus. We don't want you to do this anymore. It's getting out of hand. And of course, Peter and John said, Who do we listen to? Jesus, who's told us to keep sharing this word, or you? And uh, so, of course, all the Christians get even more excited and more of an uproar. And so the Sanhedrin doesn't know what to do. They can't kill them because there'll be all these people freaking out. And so they let them go. And so Peter and, and John go back to the Christians that they had been speaking to. And now they're extra excited because they have... uh, They've been brought before the Sanhedrin. They know they're not going to be able to do anything about it. But at the same time, they're dealing with huge amounts of persecution. And in verse 29 and 30 that come right before this, it says the, uh, they had gotten all the disciples and all the new Christians together and they prayed. And they prayed and asked God to take care of them through this time. So it says in verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And in verse 30, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So even though they were dealing with all of this persecution and having to endure all of this, they didn't say, please make it go away. This really sucks. I hate it that all these people are persecuting me. They said, in the midst of all of this, let your name be known and let us be used as a tool to pronounce the gospel. And at that time, it says that the earth quaked And they were, again, further filled with the Holy Spirit. So in verse 31, they've just finished this prayer. And again, they're feeling the sense of the Holy Spirit on their lives. And in most of your Bibles, you'll notice that it probably ends there. And then verse 32 is the beginning of the next section. And so in verse 32, as I said, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. 
So the first point we can take from this is that the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, I spent six years in Bible college and managed to avoid Greek altogether. But I do know the word koinonia. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. It comes from the word koina or koinos. And that word, the derivative of it, means united or common. So they had everything in common. And koinos itself would be similar to like us saying the United Way or the United Nations. It was just that they were doing things with the same in the same general direction. They were all kind of on board with the same thing. But when that gets taken from koino, koina or koinos and becomes koinonia, it's a whole other thing because that's the spiritual aspect that gets pulled in. Koinonia is communion or joint partnership. Now, the word is used 19 times in the New Testament, and it's translated 12 times as fellowship, three times as sharing, two times as participation, and two times as contribution. Now, the first time is, as I mentioned earlier, Acts 2, where they said all the believers were together and had everything in common. So as believers, they were doing everything together in order to bring people towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. And one thing I think is really important to note here is it doesn't say they were talking about all the tiny details of what they believed. It was that they had everything in common in bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew that Jesus had died on the cross, that their sins had been forgiven, and that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit as a result of that. They didn't discuss at this point things like women in ministry, or whether or not we should be liberals or conservatives, or whether or not we should be cheering for the Blue Jays or whoever else. This is uh, nobody else, clearly, but um, they're saying they're all on the same page about things that really matter. They were one in their ability to do ministry because they all believed in the same thing when it came to Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and sharing that message with other people as Jesus had commanded them to do. Now, I work for this great little organization called Blue Sea, and many of you know about it because half of the congregation is somehow connected to it. (laughs) But at our charity, our goal is to bring all kinds of charities together into major events that we can then make happen in order to raise money for their charities. So we often run into this thing where You have all these tiny, tiny little charities who on their own are not capable of having one big, large event. But when we come along together and we put that together, then we're able to do amazing things. And it's like that with our faith as well. The more that we can commit to doing together, the more that we will be noticed, the more of a difference that we're able to make. There is nothing that Satan wants more than to to divide Christians because he knows that when Christians are divided, they're not able to accomplish anything. Just like our friends at Starbucks, they look at us and they say, look at those Christians. They just fight over everything. They just get mad about everything. So it's so important that we be one in heart and mind. And above all of that, it's important because 
It's important to Jesus. In the book of John, right before Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was praying and to God and he was uh, asking him to protect us and to help us be one. So in John 17, verse 11, it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And again, in verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Jesus was saying, I'm coming back to heaven. I know my time here on earth is done, but what's most important to me is that my disciples who are here on earth would be one in their relationship with each other the same way that I am one with you, God. That's pretty intense. It doesn't mean, hey, let's divide out our denominations. Let's fight over the things we don't believe in. They were one in their focus to bring salvation to us, and we need to be one in our focus to bring salvation to other people. So in the next section, verse 33, it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The thing we can get from this is that our actions are an outpouring of our hearts. Now, I am a salesperson. I always have been in my heart. I'm just that type of person. And I read a stat once that said that if you experience something or you try a product or something, that if you love it, then you are more than likely going to share that experience with eight other people. And if you hate it, you're probably going to share it with eight other people as well. (laughs) So when I go to my hairdresser that I just love, and I had a great experience there, and then I shared it with 10 people, and they all shared it, and now the entire community of people I know all go to the same hairdresser. That's just the way that I am. And it is the same with our faith. If we have a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus, we cannot help but want to share that with other people. So when it says that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, they were sharing about what Jesus had done because they had seen it and they had felt it in their own life. I once read another stat that said, don't tell them Jesus loves them until you're ready to love them too. So what we experience in our own life and in our relationship with Jesus allows us to minister to other people, and it makes us want to share with other people. And that kind of brings me back to the whole Starbucks thing, because one of the mistakes that we make as Christians is we try to force our beliefs onto other people without sharing the personal relationship that we have with Jesus. So if a place like Starbucks is known to say, we're not, then we're not a Christian organization. Why do we need to put baby Jesus on our cup? Or snowmen, like that's a whole other thing. But uh, for us to go in there and say, absolutely, we need to shove faith down people's throats They don't know why it's important to us. They don't care about the outward expression of it because they don't have the inward expression of it. 
So as Christians, we need to be living out of our inward expression so that the outward stuff comes very naturally. The next part, it says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. What we can learn from this is that God blesses those who live for him. Now, in some translations, instead of saying God's grace, it says power and grace was upon them all. And they were able to accomplish great things because they were living their lives for Christ. Now, this is something that personally I find very difficult sometimes. I am a control freak. I like to be in control of my own life. I like to know what's going on all the time. And a relationship with Jesus Christ is a sacrifice because we're giving up full control of our lives in order to live for him. And Jesus himself was the greatest example of this. When he came to earth, he gave up all of his rights. He became a human being, which compared to God is pretty crappy, I think. And yet he was willing to do that. He forfeited the whole world in order that he could come here to die for our sins. And so we can learn from that experience and we can give up our control of our own lives over to Jesus in order that uh, other people would know about him and that our personal relationship with him would grow And through that, we are blessed in immeasurable ways. So the disciples were given power to uh, do miracles, and they were given the grace of God in their ability, of course, to grow as Christians and to be forgiven from their sins. And I think it's really interesting to note here that they didn't do anything crazy fancy, They were just sharing from their own personal convictions. So often we believe that there's just so much more to it than just being a really good friend or just openly expressing the different things that God has done in our lives. But there was no magical sales pitch that converted the Christians. There was no programs put in place or buildings that were built in order to reach other people. This was just... They had had an experience that changed their life and they chose to together share that experience with other people. So they had the miraculous response of the miracles, but then they also had a very practical response. So as Christians, the most practical response of the salvation that we've received is that we share it with other people. And as a result, God will bless our lives. Now I'm not saying Anything like you're going to have great, awesome, amazing things because that's not what it means. It means that we will experience the blessing of, of that relationship with God and then we are able to share that with other people. For anyone who's ever had the opportunity to share your faith with somebody else and to see them come to faith as a result of it, there's no greater blessing than that. So that is what God's grace and power on their lives was like at that. And then the final part says that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. 
brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So I was, of course, talking with Raja this week, and I said, I knew what series that you were in right now. And he said, yeah, I I spoke on giving this week. I'm like, oh, great, here we go. One week of giving. Now we've got a scripture that's all focused on giving. But I want to take this in a very different direction than if you were here last week. Uh, The thing that's so important from this that we understand is that the Christians gave out of the blessing that they received and they didn't do it because they felt obligated or because they were asked. They actually sought out the opportunity to help other believers. And in Matthew 19, you may have heard the story of the rich young ruler. And there was a man who came to Jesus while he was uh, on the earth and Jesus was preaching. And, and he said, Jesus, I want to know what I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, well, you know what you have to do. Here's a list of all the commandments. These are the things that you need to follow. And, and he said, yes, yes, yes. I've done, I've done all of that since I was a young boy. And uh, Jesus knew his heart. And he knew where his idols lie. And so he said to him, if you really want to get into the kingdom of heaven, then you need to sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. And often people hear that and they think, well, you know, salvation is not about stuff or following rules or different things. And that's absolutely correct. That's not the basis of salvation and that's not what Jesus is referring to here. But Jesus knew that that man was going to be stuck on his stuff, that he would never ever be able to fully surrender his life over to Christ because He wanted to have his stuff more than he wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's the same as that control issue of wanting to be in control all the time. Having our stuff allows us to feel comfortable in the situations that we're in. It's security for us. And so giving away our things is, again, an outward sign of something that's happening inwardly. We trust that God is able to take care of us regardless of what kind of a situation we're in. And so we can give our stuff back uh, to him. And uh, another thing that people will often say is, wow, this, this whole Acts thing feels a little bit like a cult. All these people are selling their stuff and they're all together in one location. And a couple things that are really important to note is that When you're in a cult and you're asked to give up things, there's usually three different ways that happens. The first is through manipulation. You're told, you know what, if you give up your stuff, you're going to get something that's way better. And uh, they will lead people to believe that giving up of of your stuff will get you so much more stuff. And the second thing is they often will do it by force. They'll say, you know what, if you want to be part of this, you absolutely have to give up all of your stuff. And then the third thing is they often do it through fear. So if you don't give up your stuff, then this is going to happen. And as you can see here in these scriptures, none of that is the case. This was not a matter of them even being asked to do it. It was simply an outpouring of what they already felt inside. They were ready 
to leave it all at the feet of the apostles. And one thing that really hits home to me is the very last part of that scripture. It says, it was distributed to anyone who was in, no, sorry. It was put at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who has need. So, Again, as somebody who sometimes struggle, who always struggles with control issues, I have been in many situations where it's hard to give because I don't have control of how that money gets spent. So I heard of a, a church situation from a church that we were in um, much earlier where the people in the church were really upset with how the money in the church was being spent. They were not happy with the pastor. And so they started designating all of their gifts. So every time they would write a check to the church, they would write on it, this money has to be used for a new piano, or this money has to be used for Uh, the care program. And it got so bad that it was to the point where they were saying, please pay to fix the plumbing. Here's the check. And there was no sense of trust that God was in control of that money. And here we see in the Acts church that they didn't question. They just brought it before the apostles and they said, here you go. Here, you use this for whatever it's needed for. And if we had time to continue on further, then you would see that we're not just talking about here's, you know, here's some money from my paycheck. They were selling their homes. They were selling their cars. They were giving huge chunks of money and they were saying, we just trust you. You just take it and you do whatever you need to do with it because we know that God is in control and we're one as believers. And if my friend is in need, then I absolutely want to help the person who is in need. So they gave out of their blessing, not out of an obligation to ask. There is an amazing woman whose name is Katie Davis, and many of you have probably heard of her. She wrote a book called Kisses from Katie. If you haven't read it, you should. And when she was 17 years old, she moved to Uganda to become a missionary. And uh, she was there for a short period of time, but God just got a hold of her heart really quickly, and she decided to stay permanently. And in a very, very short period of time, he's done some amazing things with her. She's not even 30 at this point in time. She has adopted 13 children, and she did all of this before she was 20. She started an organization that's called Emazima, And they do all kinds of wonderful things for the people in Uganda. Uh, They feed uh, children in in the slums. They run a school. They just built a high school. They have a a beading ministry where they make jewelry and then they send it back to North America to be sold. And all of this has come out of a very humble heart. She had nothing. She just went over there and she just said, I just felt this need And uh, in her book, she told a story that just resonated so much with me. She talked about these small children, these little five- and six-year-olds, and how they would be so dirty, and they were diseased, they had ringworm on their heads, and people would look at them and just want absolutely nothing to do with them. And she said they, they would come to me with sticks and with rocks because that was all that they had. And they were so proud to be able to offer me something. And of that, she said, 
This is the way that God sees me. Filthy and broken, offering my life to the God of the universe and begging him to make it into something beautiful. We have an opportunity to give our lives back to God. Gave us Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. And so, as we move into the Christmas season, we can focus on things like a Starbucks Red Cup war controversy, or we can be united as believers. We can share our faith with those who don't know of it. And we can share it through very, very practical ways, whether you have money to give, whether you have time to give, whether you have a talent that needs to be shared, we need to be looking for opportunities to share our faith with other believers, and we need to do that together. In Luke 12, 48, the Bible says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And whether you feel like it or not, here in North America, we've been given much. Much more is going to be demanded of us. So my prayer for us today is just that we would leave here united as believers in Christ and looking for opportunities to share our faith in a way that we never have before. And remember that we can't ask other people to love Jesus unless we're ready to love them first. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for our sins. For being willing to live on this earth for 33 years as a human being in order that your plan for our salvation could be accomplished. And Lord, I thank you for the church of early acts and the example that they are to us that as christians we can accomplish so much if we do it together and if we give our control over to you lord i pray for every single christian in this room today that you would bless them that you would give them the power and the grace that they need to do wonderful things for you And I pray, Lord, that as we go into this busy Christmas season, that our focus would be on these things, that this would be an opportunity for us to share of the wonderful things you've done in each one of our lives, whether it be through our words or through our actions or through our generous gifts, because you've given us so much, we have so much more to give. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here and uh, have a great day.